Hello, I'm Ian Madison, a fellow in the International Development Department and the producer of the Refugee Realities podcast series. In this series, students from the course on Refugees and Forced Migration here at the LSE bring us interviews with a range of people on the topic, covering the policies and politics that shape asylum to the lived experiences of refugees themselves. In this episode, Gabrielle Canavan and Tatum Caggiano delve into the gendered dimensions of the conflicts that are often at the root of refugee crises, as well as the responses to them. With 79 million people displaced around the world, how can international policy best ensure the gendered needs of asylum seekers and refugees are met? Gabrielle and Tatum speak with Dr. Eiko Hovikivi and Dr. Audrey Reeves on how the Women, Peace and Security Agenda presents a unique opportunity to create a more gender-conscious refugee regime. Along the way, they discuss new directions and possibilities to meet the needs and amplify the voices of gendered migrants. Gabrielle Canavan and Tatum Caggiano are both MSc students in the LSE's Gender, Peace and Security program. Gabrielle's research interests are on addressing broader human security concerns, especially as they relate to gendered issues within and outside of traditional conflict settings. Tatum's research focuses on opportunities for refugee aid to meet the gendered needs of asylum seekers and refugees. I hope you enjoy the episode. Hi, I'm Tatum. Hi, I'm Gabrielle. And today we are joined by Dr. Eiko Hovakivi and Dr. Audrey Reeves. They recently published an article titled WPS After Europe's Refugee Crisis. And they are here to tell us more about the nexus between the Women, Peace and Security Agenda, also known as the WPS Agenda, and the refugee security regime. The United Nations Security Council Resolution 1325 is often considered a watershed moment for WPS activists seeking gender equity within responses to conflict. UNSCR 1325 and the subsequent resolutions considered as the WPS Agenda have famously drawn international attention to gendered issues and conflict with their experience in both policy and academia, Dr. Holvikivi and Dr. Reeves will be answering some of our questions on the potential for a refugee-inclusive WPS agenda. Thank you, Tatum, for that introduction, and thank you both again for taking the time to talk with us today. So can you tell us why gender is an important lens through which to consider refugee-related issues in academia and policy? Aiko, would you like to start the first question? Thanks for that question, Gabrielle. So gender matters for thinking about refugee studies and refugee policy for a number of interrelated reasons, right? So our starting off point is that gender mediates experiences of insecurity and of international mobility in a number of ways. On the one hand, um, what we see is that experiences um, of gender mediate insecurity in, in mobility. So our research started at the time of, of what was referred to as, as Europe's so-called refugee crisis in 2015, 2016. And, and in that context, what we were seeing is that the proportion of women who were, who were fleeing conflict was, was rising in numbers of overall refugees. And women were experiencing, according to many reports, higher mortality rates at Europe's borders and, and experiencing specific kinds of gendered insecurity, 
right? So the, the hardening of Europe's border regime led to a lot of refugees being more reliant on the services of smugglers to try and get in. And, and there were reports of, of women being obliged to pay for their passage um, with sex and generally being more vulnerable to kind of sexual harassment and assault. Um, and, and those insecurities were not necessarily mediated by the fact of making it to, to a reception center. So there were numerous reports of gender-based violence occurring in reception centers, both in Europe, as well as Paul Kirby has done some recent work documenting sexual violence occurring in immigration detention centers in Libya, which is, of course, where a lot of people fleeing have been pushed back to by the European border guards. But on that question of gender-based violence in reception centers, I think Audrey had an experience or, or heard of an event that kind of spurred our thinking on that as well. I was at a conference um, during the process of um, doing this research project where I heard some colleagues who had been uh, doing some research at refugee reception centers in Greece. And uh, they had been witness in visiting the refugees like reception centers of um, quite an unusual site. So, in the center, they get to a space where they just see a lot of water bottles filled with liquid that isn't water, a big pile of them. And uh, one of the researcher, uh, Amanda Beatty, asks, what is, what is this, you know, like, why, why is there a pile of bottles here? And the staff explained that these were bottles that were filled with urine because many of the women and girls did not feel safe to go to the toilet at night. So they would stay in their tents and they would just pee in water bottles and then like, you know, trash it in the morning because the toilets just didn't feel like a safe environment to be in if you were a woman or a girl at night because you could be um, assaulted or harassed or even kidnapped. So I think this just like gave a sense of the extent to which there are certain forms of insecurities that are not being addressed in the living situations, the everyday life of many people who are seeking asylum. In addition to this, as you know, gender is something that adheres to human beings, but also to certain archetypes or certain institutions. And we had a concern that grew in the process of doing this research with um, a certain kind of feminization of the refugee women as a population. And uh, we felt like the way they were represented in the media was usually as voiceless victims or passive victims, like people who were um, at the mercy you know, of many kinds of, of violence and intervention and uh, that, um, at best should be protected. But we thought that, of course, like these are human beings who are like complex and multifaceted. And uh, actually we were interested in um, like studying and exposing the agency and skill and capability and maybe challenging the like passive representation 
of refugees, in, in particular refugee women, in, in a positive way, you know, like show that there is a lot more to the people who are in refugee situations than um, passivity or, or victimization. Thank you so much for sharing that. I think the example you gave about how needs can be gendered and how different gendered subjects can experience insecurity differently really highlighted why Gabrielle and I felt like this topic was important to focus on. And I also really appreciate your attention to the idea and truth that refugees are not subjects without agency and without a voice. So going further, it sounds that you feel that gender is a very important aspect to consider when addressing refugee-related issues. Do you feel that the WPS agenda should incorporate refugee needs within its scope? If so, have you always felt this way? And how has your opinion changed over time? So Audrey and I have a long history of working together, actually. Um, we, we both worked for an international foundation in Europe in the field of kind of gender peace and security in particular on gender and security sector reform and that's where we I would say you know originally first worked with the women peace and security agenda and at that time in the early days we didn't necessarily consider refugee questions to be part of the women, peace, and security agenda. And that came from a reading, you know, Tatum, you were you were introducing the agenda earlier as something that comes from Security Council resolutions. And if you look at the UN's Security Council resolutions on women, peace, and security, there really aren't very many mentions of forced displacement or refugee questions. And where they do come up, they're kind of very strictly defined to, to kind of what are understood as active zones of conflict. So the, the kind of obligations in the Security Council resolutions relate to, to parties to armed conflict to respect the humanitarian nature of refugee camps and to, to kind of UN agencies to take gender considerations into account in their design. But in terms of refugee questions, especially in kind of destination countries or, or host countries, the Security Council resolutions are silent on that. And in kind of the early days, when confronted with this question, um, I know my take certainly was that, well, it's important, but it isn't necessarily part of the women, peace and security agenda until a project that we actually both worked on caused us, um, and in particular, Audrey's research caused us to question that assumption. Yes, exactly. In um... 2015 so in the context of the like the heat heated moment of this uh, refugee crisis of people coming especially from Syria towards Europe I was no longer working for this organization but I was recruited uh, by ICO as a consultant to do a study for the NATO parliamentary assembly so NATO has this organ where parliamentarians of all the member countries meet and discuss security issues, including women, peace and security. And in the context of this report, I had to analyze answers by all the member countries on how their parliament was addressing women, peace and security, for instance, by adopting laws that would help push the, the resolution forward. And interestingly, all like most of the countries 
um, they had like answers that I would I was familiar with, you know, like things about uh, integrating women in the armed forces or making sure that the governments were held accountable to provide gender training, for instance, to their staff that works in international like um, emergencies and things like that. But then when it got to Turkey, I had a completely different set of answers. And all of their answers had to do with measures that they were taking to support and protect women refugees that especially like those that had been recently arriving from from Syria into Turkey and Turkey was really at the you know like it was at the front line of handling large numbers of, of refugees and um, this just really brought my attention to a different reading of what women peace and security could mean and that actually in, in the Turkish interpretation, in this case, at least, it meant primarily handling questions of like refugee reception in a gender responsive way. And it made me realize that this had not been very important in my reading of women, peace and security up to that point in time. And I think that reading was also informed by a, a broader way of doing women, peace and security that, that I had I had inherited from my exposure to other sources at the time. So I thought, oh, this is interesting. And maybe we should think about this a little bit more. Yeah, and I think it was those conversations around that report, right, Audrey, where we then it made us it made us curious about is is Turkey really the only country that's doing this? Is there more movement towards that? And that's why we embarked on a on a project to look at in the first instance, to look at European women peace and security policy and to see whether or not that was the case. And of course, found that that this is something that's starting to make its way into some countries' interpretations of the women peace and security agenda more broadly. Thank you both for sharing those insights. It's really interesting hearing the evolution of those um, thoughts and curiosities. So in relation to that, if, if the WPS agenda adopts refugee issues within its scope, what are the benefits of this securitization? So thanks for asking about the benefits of including refugee questions in the WPS agenda. And the way we've kind of thought about it is because, as you know, the WPS agenda is often described in terms of the three P's of, of protection, participation, and prevention. And we thought that in relation to questions of forced displacement, particularly um, protection and participation, were the ones that were particularly pertinent. So in, in some ways, the WPS agenda has potential to address protection of refugee women's rights in, in two kind of distinct ways. So one is that forced displacement is something that falls through gaps in policy frameworks sometimes. So as an example of that, you know, when we've been challenged on this question, why does the WPS agenda need to address refugee questions? Aren't those kind of taken care of somewhere else? And what we see sometimes in practice is that they're not. So for example, if we look at the UK, one of the reasons the UK has has signed but not ratified the Istanbul Convention on Violence Against Women, and one of the one of the issue areas in which it's it's falling behind or hasn't ratified the obligations under that convention is around refugee women rights. So it doesn't the UK does not 
provide access to victim services to people who have migrant or refugee status. So we can see there an example of, of where refugee women might fall through other policy frameworks. So in an, in an agenda that's concerned with the protection of women and their rights, this seems a good opportunity to address that. As well as, you know, even if there are other policies that address these questions to then kind of add normative pressure for the implementation of those kinds of commitments. So, so that's kind of part of the story of why addressing questions of forced displacement within WPS might be beneficial. And I'll let Audrey continue. In addition to this, and perhaps most innovatively, the Women, Peace and Security agenda emphasizes not only the protection of women and girls, in relation to security problems, but also their participation and inclusion as agents and participants. So this aspect of women and girls as influencers, as influencing the policy process, as uh, people who should be consulted and put in the driver's seat of how we make policy, this is really something that is not already existing in the international legal regime around the protection of refugees and asylum seekers. So the refugee regime, like the international regulations around it, really treat matters of protection. They don't question or integrate measures to make sure that women and girls in particular who are refugees should have something to say on how their conditions of life are shaped by policy. And this is something where women, peace and security is really innovative in that sense, because it's really put like the participation of women at the forefront. So by bridging the two, the refugee issues and the women, peace and security issues, we were really able to show that there was here and an, an international framework already accepted that said that conflict affected women ought to be listened to, they ought to be consulted, they are experts of their own condition, they can be treated as security practitioners themselves. And so women refugees and girl refugees are part of these women, so maybe they have something valuable, not maybe, they have something valuable to say about um, peace building, they have something valuable to say about how should we organize refugee protection frameworks because they are the beneficiaries and also they are experts of, of that condition of being a refugee. So these were also the dimensions we thought were really brought to the fore in a positive way with the, the Women, Peace and Security agenda. So I really love that answer and kind of the innovative aspect that WPS provides. It gives me a sense of hope that this WPS agenda could add this new approach. But what are any limitations to this? Are there any risks that maybe outweigh these benefits to securitizing this issue? Yeah, so having, having said all of that about the benefits of including refugee questions in the WPS agenda, we're, of course, intensely aware that there are many limitations to the agenda and there are many critiques of it. And those are critiques that we need to think about really seriously if we're to advocate inclusion of extending the, the mandate of, of women, peace and security. 
to start with maybe maybe the most clearly delimited, there's been a lot of concern around the women, peace and security agenda. One of the new issue areas it has taken on in the past five to 10 years has been the question of countering violent extremism, which has been highly contentious among, among especially feminist activists and scholars who are invested in the WPS agenda because of the potential for increasing insecurity and forwarding all kinds of security agendas around countering violent extremism. So there, we're concerned that there is often a tendency to speak about issues to do with counterterrorism, countering violent extremism extremism and migration together. So we've, we've tried to kind of very clearly delimit that the concern with refugee women in, in the scope of the agenda should be based on the right to asylum and the right to political participation rather than to a kind of countering violent extremism agenda, which we're a lot more kind of skeptical of. And then of course, we've seen across a range of WPS policies, the tendency of things that get picked up by this agenda to be increasingly narrowed to kind of advocating for women's participation in security institutions in institutions of state violence. So one of the issues that WPS has been critiqued for a lot is its tendency to co-opt women into institutions. So for example, advocating for more women participation, participating in the military, more women peacekeepers, and then that being kind of the interpretation of what participation means. And we recently saw an example of this. So for International Women's Day this year in 2021, the EU's border agency Frontex put out a, a kind of campaign video with the hashtag security has no gender which as scholars of this, I, I think we might want to contest um, that security is, is not gendered. But, but in this video clip, it features women in uniform performing border control functions as a way of Frontex posturing as a, as a particularly gender inclusive organization. And, and this is, of course, an organization that's been implicated in kind of illegal pushbacks of, of refugees to Libya and, and so on and so forth. So we can see there the danger of including refugee questions in the women, peace and security agenda, that there's danger that it becomes taken up by violent institutions and, and used as a gloss for, for gender equality in that context. There's a great blog post about this Frontex promotional video on the LSE WPS blog by Columba, Achilles, Sarl, Julia, Sachs-Seder, and Saskia Stachowicz, which kind of unpacks the, the very narrow understandings of gender and of security that are going on. Yeah, I think that is a very complete answer. But I think at this stage in time, whilst we are still thinking about those limitations, we also want to remain attentive to the complexity of the women, peace and security agenda that these um, positives and negatives, they cohabit with one another and the breadth of the agenda is such and it's completely, it's constantly moving that it's really hard to pin down what outweighs, you know, what if the benefit outweighs the inconvenience because the women, peace and security agenda is also a tool and an area of community for women's organizations, including migrant women's organizations in certain contexts. 
And therefore, it's also an area of influencing and activism. Like it provides some women's groups with a legitimacy to ask for certain things and, you know, ask for certain rights, ask for being listened to. So I wouldn't necessarily want to stop or want to end with those risks or those negative aspects, even though we, we do need to be attentive to them too. Thank you both for sharing some of the benefits and risks of incorporating refugee issues into the WPS agenda. I especially enjoy your input that this is a very complex issue and it's not so much weighing pros against cons, but it's trying to find the best opportunity for growth and progress and advancement within this area that is clouded by a lot of different things and in which decisions are not easily made by any means. Going back to attitudes surrounding whether or not WPS should pursue this adding in of refugees to its agenda, what is your feeling or your intuition surrounding how other people feel about whether or not we should do this? What do you feel is the opinion of both policymakers and academics on whether or not WPS should incorporate refugee issues within its scope and within its future endeavors. We've really observed a shift in the time period over which we have worked on this topic ourselves. When we started in 2015, as I mentioned earlier, like I was surprised that this connection could even be made and had to like convince Aiko a little bit at the beginning that this was something that was that was worth doing because we were both so caught up in this naturalization of the division of labor right that on the one hand there was a refugee regime that took care of refugees and on the other hand there was this women peace and security platform that took care of conflict affected women and that they could each be left in their own place and in the process of writing the research and submitting it to different journals, we also encountered some reviewers, some anonymous reviewers that would just not buy it. Like they, they really said, well, one is a domestic policy issue and the other one is a foreign policy issue. And why would you want to disturb that? And how does that not work? And we, we still felt like we had a point. And thankfully, eventually, we found some reviewers who were happy to, for us to make that point and publish it. But there, there definitely was a certain level of resistance. And, and in the literature at the time, there was, which is why we wrote the article, right? There was really, like, we couldn't find anyone who was really connecting those two issues, though Lucy Hall was in, in some way a pioneer in this respect, and we, we built on her work to a good extent too, but there were very few voices in the, in the scholarly world that were establishing those connections. In the policy world, it was somewhat different in the sense that, as we demonstrate in the article, in the global South, there is already an assumption that refugees and asylum seekers are included in the women, peace and security agenda. So most of the countries that are involved in the women, peace and security agenda through the adoption of a national action plan in the global south had already included refugees and it, it, it was just naturalized in that way, in a way that it was not in the global north. 
So we really felt like there was like a, a distinction there. And that's also why we focused our attention in the article on Europe, because even in relation to other like global north spaces, Europe was even less likely to be willing to integrate refugees. And there were some European countries that were really, really close to the idea, like the UK, for instance. Um, so we had some colleagues who were involved in the consultation around the most recent UK National Action Plan. And so we know through them that academics and activists told the like, government representatives, this is something we think should be in the action plan. And the government representative said, no, we're not going <laughs> to include it because the UK National Action Plan is about women, peace and security as a foreign policy issue. So this was really something that we, we felt that resistance in some contexts until that it needed addressing. And on the other hand, there were other countries where, and even in, in the European context, where that integration was already happening. So Ireland was a case uh, where they were already consulting with migrant women's organizations in the context of renewing their national action plan. So we thought that was really fascinating, the way that in some countries, this issue was somehow not receivable. But in other countries, there was already a lot of work being done around it. I think it's really going in that direction. So over the space of these six years, we see more and more countries and regional organizations and NGOs like embracing that connection, starting with the European Union. I think, Aiko, you might know a bit more about this. Yes, I think it will be interesting to see kind of in the next five years, because during the time that we were writing and rewriting and, and getting this article out. In 2018, the EU passed a new action plan on women, peace and security, superseding its previous one. And this one actually does have quite extensive commitments to looking at questions of, of forced displacement and, and refugee issues within EU member states. And as a kind of overarching body, it will be interesting to see whether more European states take this on as part of the, part of the policy agenda remains to be seen. It's really interesting. I think a common thread that I'm hearing through this talk and also through your article is the complexity of this issue and challenging these binaries of a domestic issue, a foreign issue. And also alongside that is the role of coloniality. So when you mention how a lot of Global South countries are already doing work and in incorporating refugee issues within their national action plans or regional action plans, it shows an even further divide and something that we should be focusing on. So I found that really important from your work. And you kind of answered this, but looking forward, how possible do you think it is that the WPS agenda will integrate refugee issues? I guess it's different based on the global South countries, global North countries, but since your article was based in Europe and the EU, I guess how possible do you think that this will become a more mainstream integration as opposed to a minority of countries? And do you have any future plans on this topic specifically? So on the question of whether or not it's possible, like you said, Gabrielle, we certainly hope so, because we think in our analysis, what we found is that it seems that a strong undercurrent to the attempts to keep refugee questions within European states out of WPS policy is to do with this kind of hierarchical ordering 
of places in global politics, right? Where because many European states want to present themselves as being A at peace and be kind of gender responsive, they're very resistant to the idea that they would need to address women's lived experiences of insecurity within their borders in WPS policy. So there's this attempt to kind of separate out where conflict and insecurity happen and where um, women's rights are and are not realized. You know, we talked about the various kinds of limitations and benefits, and it's it, part of it is not so amenable to a cost-benefit analysis, right? Because we found that the inclusion of refugee questions within the host state in a European context did some important work in destabilizing those kinds of colonial imaginaries that allow states and European citizens to imagine as the problems always residing elsewhere. And one of the things, and this is maybe getting more into WPS particular interests, is seeing where that impetus comes from and to what extent WPS policy aligns with, with the country's policies otherwise. You know, looking back at some of the countries that we found that do include refugee questions within the host state, they're not always the countries that have been the most progressive on these questions as a whole. So it will be interesting to see how the developments continue. But yes, we are definitely planning on, on continuing to follow this question. Yeah, and it's important to note that the majority of European states that did integrate concerns related to asylum-seeking people and, uh, and refugees in their women, peace and security policy often did so on the basis of protection only. So there seemed to be here a limitation in that even European states that were willing to be inclusive in that sense and recognize, oh, women, peace and security is not just this thing where we go to the global south and tell them how to do gender, but we also look at our own policies and look at how we can improve them at home. And even those states, they struggled to see that women and girls asylum seekers should also be consulted and they should be listened to. And that in many ways, they are security experts because they have gone through experiences of insecurity and experiences of the borderland that most European policymakers won't have gone through. And so in terms of future projects, one of the things we're interested in doing is creating more connections with these women and girl asylum seekers or refugees who are also activists, who are active in supporting people who are currently going through the process of seeking asylum, who are active in speaking to governments or speaking to influential international organizations like the Security Council, for instance, about the condition of women, refugees and girls. And in this respect, one character that I find particularly inspiring is Mina Jaff, who's um, a, a Danish activist. She was born on the border between Iran and Iraq during the, the war between Iran and Iraq. And she went through the refugee system. And now she has founded this organization called Women's Refugee Route. That is a pan-European organization. So she has chapters in various European countries that, that are employing a lot of women who were formerly asylum seekers. And uh, they are providing training for a lot of government employees about 
how to better support, how to better offer services to women and girls who are asylum seekers. And they're also providing direct services also to those same women asylum seekers. So they are very active, you know, they're not passive recipients of benefits. They are actively shaping the world and trying to make it more secure for people who have been intensely marginalized. So I think more getting to know these these women better is something I'd be really interested in doing. I absolutely agree. I think we can learn a lot more about what security is and looks like from and, and with people who have who have lived experience. So I think that will be where our research takes us next. I'm so excited to continue following your work and hearing what you discover and finding new possible pathways for this topic. Before we wrap up, I think it would be helpful to draw attention to the fact that during this conversation, we've talked a lot about women and girl refugees. And as gender practitioners, we know that gender is often essentialized to women. So in order to <laughs> steer clear of doing that in this discussion, what are some benefits to non-women refugee subjects? This could include men refugees, non-binary refugees, as well as trans refugees. And how do you think that adding in refugee issues within the WPS agenda specifically can benefit not just women and girl refugees, but also refugees of all gender backgrounds and identities. On this topic, I think it's worth giving a shout out to Jamie Hagen, who is one expert of queering the women, peace and security agenda. And these are absolutely important concerns. And there's a lot of work that's also being done in um, outside the academic world as well to better integrate the concerns of LGBTQ minorities in the women, peace and security agenda more generally. And that's absolutely important. There is something about the women, peace and security agenda having women in its, in its title that does orient a certain kind of like perspective or, or research. And I guess in the project of making the argument about the refugees, we felt, and this is probably something that is, um, is, is problematic in and of itself, but we felt that it served the argument better to kind of bracket that question, you know, of who counts as a woman or, or leave it open-ended in a way. But yes, I think you're, you're absolutely right. That's now that in a, in a sense, we've, um, we've kind of made that point we can think further and in much more subtle and complicated ways about how the concerns of non-binary individuals can be also integrated at the level of the, the space where the refugee concerns meet the women, peace and security agenda concerns. I think also one of the things that I really learned through looking at some of the scholarship around around gender and refugee law, right, is that when we're paying, we're kind of drawing attention to women, what you're doing is not just drawing attention to who's missing, but what it does is it illuminates the way in which the existing laws and policies, they're not just gender blind, they're built around a certain type of, of construction of who can be a refugee, who who has political agency, you know, who can be persecuted, who's, you know, 
this kind of subsidiary family that comes along with that because gender is relational. So by drawing attention to women and what's not being talked about there, it's also helping shed light on the kind of construction of the masculine subject that's at work in existing refugee law and refugee policy. And I think we'd also have a lot to learn about the, the kinds of, you know, like Lewis Turner scholarship around, around the experiences, the gendered experiences of refugee men who might not kind of fit that laws and policies, conceptualizations of masculinity. And I think it's definitely, there's a worthwhile endeavor to, to kind of think more expansively about how refugee law and policy produces a certain kind of gender and, and hence is unable to see or account for different kinds of expressions and experiences. Thank you so much for answering that very complicated question. I feel like that is the eternal struggle within WPS is how do we advocate for women's rights and women's protection and participation without excluding other groups that might not necessarily fall into the culturally standard definition of what is a woman and how a woman inhabits space within the world. So as we now wrap up, uh, do you have any final thoughts on what we've talked about today or any last feelings that you'd like to share with our audience? I just want to express gratitude to you both for inviting us and letting us share our, our thoughts and time with you. I think we, we're really excited that other people are also excited about this topic and it's really a wonderful thing to be able to have this conversation. And we look forward to seeing what you find out in your research in relation to related topics. With that, we are also so thankful that you both had the time and wanted to come speak with us today. It was a very enlightening conversation for us and I know for the listeners as well. You can find Dr. Holvikivi and Dr. Reeves article in the European Journal of International Security. We will also link it in the info section. And thank you both so much again for speaking with us today. It was really a pleasure. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Refugee Realities podcast series, hosted by the Department of International Development at the LSE. We have more episodes on the way, so please do stay tuned.